Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The shark bait has such teeth death, and it shows them pearly white. Just a jackknife has old Maggie Heat, babe, and it keeps it uh, out of sight. You know when that shark bites. So welcome everybody to another episode of Macklin's Take, an historic episode of Macklin's Take, because for the first time we are coming to you remotely, and I'm not going to lie, I didn't have an enormous amount of confidence uh, in our ability to pull this off, uh, and the reason that we've been able to pull it off is is not in any way down to, to me or Macklin, because we are about this technically inept as most people you will find. So Darren Reese, the maestro, he's the man who has managed to talk us through this one. And my wife's been giving me a bit of a hand as well, which is, I think, only fair because she's been putting me to work in her uh, in her chocolate factory for the for the whole of the week, wrapping chocolate bars, which I can assure you is a crushingly dull job. So it was a bit of payback this afternoon and she's much more technically minded than me. So it sounds like we're up and running. I'm in Forest Gate uh, in my house in East London. Uh, Matt Macklin, I believe, is in his library in the east wing of the Solihull Mansion. Matthew, are you there? <laughs> yes, I am indeed. Brilliant, brilliant. So we can hear each other. Well, that's a really good start. That's a really good start. So this is how we're going to be doing it for the foreseeable, for, for obvious reasons. And we'll just have some fun with it like we always do. And we'll get some other people involved at various intervals. Uh, some regulars probably will probably call upon a few people we, we talk to uh, often enough, but we'll look to maybe branch out a little bit too and do do something uh, slightly different every now and again, because let's face it, no one's really got anything to do at the moment, have they? Not the kind of people that we're going to, we're going to be ringing up and pestering anyway. People have got time on their hands, and if we can just help people pass the time uh, a little bit more enjoyably by doing this, then that's really... That's really all we're after. Uh, we're not going to get into the coronavirus because what can we possibly add that would be of any value? We're not doctors. 
Um, we're not behavioural scientists. So we're all aware of the situation we're in and just hope everybody's in good health and, and they, they manage to, to stay that way. So today, Matt, we've got something that people have been asking us to do for a while, actually, which is just a good old a good old Q&A. And um, I haven't given you a run through of, of any of the questions. Um, some are serious, some are sensible, some not so much, which is which is just how we how we like it. Are you slightly nervous at all with this? Because <laughs> no, listen, far away. I can dodge a bullet if I have to. <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. That's absolutely true. So we've got quite a lot of questions come in. Quite a lot of questions come in. So we'll just get through them and we'll just kind of have the conversation and see and see where it where it takes us really. So, all right, we'll start with this one, which is a fairly um, a fair, fairly Macklin specific question, but there's nothing wrong with that. This is from Hannah's 1987. Uh, and we talked about this a few times about the number of trainers you had throughout the course of your career and and the pros and cons of that. Uh, so what he wants to know is which one was your favourite. Uh, and why? I think I can probably guess the answer to this one, but but I could be wrong. You never know. Um, it, you know, it, it, it's not a straightforward answer to be honest, because um, uh, each trainer had different strengths and weaknesses, and obviously they were training me when I was at a different stage in my career. Um, you know, the, the the four years I was with Billy Graham, it was a really fun time. You know, I was very much in the, the phase of my career where I was very excited about everything, really excited about the boxing, full of ambition. Um, I kind of, I was part of the, the Hatton roller coaster, if you like, that that whole uh, time when he was packing out the MEN and then going over to America, involved in those huge fights he was involved with Mayweather and Castillo and all of that thing. So that was, that was a really exciting period of time. And of course, I had a few fights in America myself um, on a fight-by-fight basis. Uh, one on the Russell Pelt show and one um, one on the Golden Boy East show in Atlantic City. So it was. Um, it, I remember it being a really exciting phase in my career, and I was really excited about it. And I had a really good close bond with Billy Graham, and he was um, he was very good. At, he was a good teacher, Billy Graham, and he was good at making his points and explaining what he wanted. That said, I don't think he was probably necessarily the best style fit for me. But I remember being really close to him and, and really enjoying my boxing, really enjoying going to the gym and training. I think, um, you know, the other probably trainer where I kind of had that enjoyment, uh, where I really enjoyed being around, it was with Joe Gallagher uh, back in Manchester again. Um, you know, with Paul Smith and uh, all the lads there training for the Stern fight, for example. I remember specifically really enjoying training for that fight. I remember everything about it every day, going to the gym. I was excited by it. Um, obviously, as well, I suppose, because I was fighting for a world title. That gives you the, um, you know, you're extra motivated. But um, but I've gone well with Joe. I, I um, You know, he's, uh, he can be controversial at times, Joe. He can rub people up the wrong way. But I always got on really well with him when I was training for a fight. Um, you know, he was um, very much that seat mentality, kind of us against the world type mentality. And he really uh, motivated me and, 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 and you know, really pushed me to get that extra bit out. And I think style-wise, you know, he suited me. He didn't try and come in and change me. He wasn't um, particularly pushing any type of style. Um, you know, he was probably more fitness than anything for me and, and more the, the mental and the emotional drive. Uh, and also I knew that he was such a, 
He was so meticulous in his preparation. And I knew that he'd watched every single video. I knew he, I knew he wanted to win as much as I wanted to win. You know, and, and I felt, and when I was with Billy Graham, I always felt that with him too. Uh, I always knew it meant as much to Billy to win as it did to me. And, you know, that kind of gives you peace of mind that they've, um, you know, analysed the opponent, that they've ticked every box and they're, they're on it, you know, and they're, they're not pushing you or they're not giving you a day off because they can't be bothered to come to the gym. They're giving you a day off because they feel you need a day off or, or whatever, you know, you, you know that they want to win as much as you do. And you very much feel that unity. So I think with both of those, and they also had, you know, guys and person, fighters and different personalities in, in and around the gym who I got on well with. And it made, a, it made the gym less lonely and it made it more of a, you know, a bit of crack and a bit of fun and they were good times. So probably, probably those two training in Manchester were probably the um, trainers I enjoyed training with the most. Um, that said, I'd say Buddy McGurk probably has the best boxing brain and knows boxing as well as anyone I've sat down and spoke with. But I don't think Buddy, Buddy would apply himself in the same sense that they would, you know, that Buddy, Buddy's been around, seen it all, kind of knows it type of thing. But he's sometimes, I don't care. You can be the best trainer in the world, but if you don't apply yourself and get to know the individual, then, you know, you can know boxing, but we're all different. We're all different personalities. We've all got different strengths. We've all got different styles. And I think it's important that a trainer takes the time to get to know the individual. And, and I'm not going to say that it was all Buddy's fault. Maybe we just didn't have enough time either to, uh, to get that time together. You know, we, we, we did have time together, obviously, over various camps. But when I was in Manchester with Billy, for example, the four years, for most of that time, I was training for a fight. I was in the gym a lot. Um, and we decided to stay after training and spoke with Billy for hours, same Joe Gallagher. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, there's not really... <laughs> There isn't really an answer there, I suppose, because I don't think there is one answer. That was uh, I, got, I took um, I took I took different things from different different trainers. Like I say, they all had different strengths and weaknesses. No, I think that's fair enough. I think it's it's often when you've when you've had a number of of people work with you, it's 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 hard and and, and almost not fair even really to to just pick one person out. But interestingly, mention of of Billy Graham there. Uh, I've heard on the grapevine that uh, that Billy, uh, along with a uh, another good mate of mine, is going to be entering the podcast fray before too long. I won't say any more. Obviously, now is not the best time to be doing it, so they'll probably have to wait until the coronavirus crisis has, has been and gone. But the reason for that is because, and, and Macklin's take listeners will know this, is that Boxing Monthly is is coming to an end. The, the May edition is going to be the last one, and Billy had a a column in there, Preacher's Corner, um, and he want to, wants to keep going. He's enjoyed that, wants to keep giving his views. So that's 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 the reason for the, the kind of switch of medium, if you like. But that, that's a real shame, that, Matt, isn't it, that the Boxing Monthly is is coming to an end because I've been a subscriber for a long time and I'm sure when you were... I'm sure when you were on the way up, I'm a, you, you talked before about what a big deal it was to to get a good write up in Boxing News. But Boxing Monthly was was a similar thing, wasn't it? If you you know the first time they did a feature on you, it, it'd be the same. You'd think, oh wow, this is great, and you know, I've really I've really kind of arrived. So you know, it's just a I don't know, it's just a it's a sign of the times, I guess. But but yeah, it's a shame. Yeah, no, it's a shame. The Boxing Monthly was always. I remember I used to get the bus into town, and uh, I'd probably get in there about half an hour before the gym would open. And I'd go into WH Smith and uh, I'd read the Boxing Monthly cover to cover and the, and the Ring Magazine and the Boxing News. And I wouldn't pay for any of them. I'd just sit there and read them. 
and then put them back on the shelf and leave. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, know, so you never get away. You never get away with that in the shop where I live. They 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 turf you out within about thirty seconds if you loiter for too long without buying anything. Hey, everybody, sitting here with a famous Slovenian philosopher. How are you doing, sir? I am uh, in hell, thank you. Are you uh, excited about something? I am excited about this latest uh, CIA-funded venture. A CIA venture? Yes. It's called the Desire and Capital Podcast. Oh, what is it about? I refuse your fascist question. Well, there you have it. Listen to the Desiring Capital Podcast, coming soon to a bourgeois platform near you. On your marks, get set, go! This is so crazy! Yeah, I mean, oh, and I will, just going back to that previous question, I just thought of this then, you know, there was a, I don't know, I can't remember if Joe Gallagher said this on the podcast we did with him or it was a conversation, but I think you're pretty sure you was there at the time, Andy, and he was talking about the build-up of Quig and Frampton, and he said, um, you know, I, I remember, he said, I remember, th- he said, I remember in the build-up thinking, you know, I can't have Frampton, you know, kind of embarrassing Quig, because he, he's crafty and he's sharp, Frampton, and he, you know, he's quick with the banter and he's witty, you know, and Quig, that ain't really his strength, and I don't want him kind of demoralising him in the build-up. So I kind of jumped on that, and I became the nuisance, and it was really me against the McGuigans and me against Frampton, and it kind of took that pressure off Quig in the build-up, and I remember thinking, you know, and, and, and he was nail on the head. Like, I know I understood exactly where he was coming from. And I remember thinking to myself, now that's something that, you know, Gallagher, who's so obsessed, who's literally looking at everything from the mental aspect, that the, not just the, 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 the time in the gym, but he's looking at all, he's trying to cover all angles. He's looking at the emotional, the mental, the build up, the confidence, everything like that, where Someone like Buddy McGirt, who knows his boxing, he, he, he wouldn't even look into that. He just think, would think that that wasn't even a part of it. Do you know what I mean? But that stuff, that is a part of it, you know, and that that does affect you, you know, where your mind goes and how you feel um, in a build to a fight. That can, you know, it's, it's psychological warfare, isn't it? And, and I remember someone like Buddy, uh, Billy Graham was a bit like that too. You know, he was very, he'd look at the trainer, he'd look at the teams. You know, he was kind of very obsessive about that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I, he did. Yeah, he said it in the podcast we did with him, and we we touched on it when we spoke to Carl Frampton a few weeks ago as well. And and yeah, I I love that the fact that somebody looks into things that deeply, uh, and and is willing to break every single aspect of of the build up down in that kind of way. I think that's great. You know, he's he's got his he's got his critics at times, Joe. But personally, I'm 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 a, I'm a fan because 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 of that kind of thing. Um, you know, if I had, if I was a young fighter or a parent of a young fighter, maybe, maybe that's that's more the way that I would kind of think about it. If I if I was going to entrust my son, daughter to someone to train them and manage them, you, you want someone who gives as much of a shit as that. I'm not saying other people don't because they do, but that that's what you want. You want someone who's going. To, you don't want someone who's going to be easy. You, you want someone who's going to be difficult, not so difficult you never agree to fight anyone, but difficult enough that. When that person walks into the room, the person on the other side of the negotiating table thinks, "Oh Christ! Like this is going to be hard." Yeah, and, there, and there's and there's the flip side to both Billy Graham and Joe Gallagher. They keep causing problems uh, managerially and promotionally with people. Do you know what I mean? So 
you know, there's, uh, there's, a, there's pros and cons. Okay, well, speaking of um, managerial and promotional issues, there's another good question here, which I'm just trying to pull up. And basically, it was from, it's from Dan Yeoman's Fitness and what he wanted to know, what he wants to know. And this is something that we haven't got into yet, but now is, is as good a time as any, is when you look at who was around during your era, uh, yourself, Martin Murray, Andy Lee, Darren Barker, how come none of you ever boxed each other? Because it's quite amazing that, isn't it? Obviously, the Barker fight was supposed to happen, very nearly did happen. But how come that, that it just never, it just never happened for any of you? So, um, really, it came, so, at, and this, this brings me on to another subject, but I'll try, I'll try and answer it as concisely as possible. Money, there was no money in boxing in the UK at that time. So it was literally money at Sky. The budget at Sky was, was, was pitiful, really. There was, there was, they were doing Friday night shows in leisure centres. And it makes me laugh when I see people giving stick about the quality of boxing on Sky these days. And I think you must be joking. Are you joking? Like, I remember, you know, you were talking like it was a, a main event was a, 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 of a Friday fight. It was a British title fight. Um, at Gore's Leisure Centre, and it was probably half full, you know, or Wigan Leisure Centre, and it was a Commonwealth title fight, and that was the main event, and maybe the chief support was an eight-rounder. This this was what the uh, was the main event at that time in boxing because there was no there was no budget to make the big fight. So you know, when me and Barker and, and Martin Moy were around, like if I hadn't have been, if I hadn't had the fight with Sturm, and then ended up going, uh, and the fight was on American television, I signed with Ludi Bella. And I got the fights with Martinez and Golovkin and, you know, Alcine. But, you know, they, they were big money for fights. But if, that had, if I'd have been just kind of hanging around at Sky, the, 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 there was no money. I, I know what was being paid for European title fights and, and world title fights at the time. There was no budget there. There was no pay-per-view. The budget was, was pittant. It was like boxing was barely staying in the game at Sky Sports. It was, there was, it was, it was when Eddie Hearn and Barney Francis sat down and Adam Smith and they changed their whole strategy. They got rid of all the promoters. They'd done an, an exclusive deal with, with Eddie and they cut down the number of shows but they did bigger shows and they went back to the arenas and Frotch came back and he rolled the dice. He went into the booth day fight, you know, knocked him out. Anyway, they brought back the pay-per-view and all of a sudden, bang, boxing's booming again, you know. And, and listen, things fall into place as well. You know, the world recession happened in 2008 the credit crunch, the world recession. You know, that's kind of when we were, I was probably in my pumps in my peak, really. It was, um, so a bit of misfortune there. Um, you know, there, there was just, and then we kind of broke up in different ways. I was with Lou Bella, signed with him. I was fine on HBO. So Lou's looking at his options on HBO for me. And, you know, Eddie had Barker, who was, you know, Sky Matchroom. I think Martin Murray was initially with the Hattons. Uh, and I think he, they'd done a deal with Box Nation, maybe, or, then he signed with a South African promoter and he was kind of fighting out of who'd done a deal in Monaco. So it was like, do you know what I mean? It was all splintered up, really. So it was, uh, not, neither of us had a world title fight and all three of us was chasing a world title to become world champion. Um, so it was just, it was just um, a combination of a few things not quite clicking in order to make the fight happen, really. But if it was today and, or even a few years back and, and we were around and, Sky, uh, Eddie had it. Eddie was flying with Sky, and he had the pay-per-view up and running. 
if the gloves were off, if that program was around, say, two years ago, me, Andy Lee, Martin Murray, Darren Barker, we'd have been fighting for vacant, we'd have got, Eddie would have got, we'd have fought for a vacant title, and we'd have just had ring matches and trilogies and round robins among the four of us, and it'd have been a golden era in the middleweight division in the UK and Ireland. But at the time when we were, when the fights were there, we were kind of, you know, at that point, you know, the, 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 the TV network, Sky wasn't up and running, the pay-per-view wasn't happening. You know, we were all splintered up with different promoters and things. And, uh, yeah, unfortunate because, you know, there have been great fights, great personalities. And like I say, if it was around now, would there'd be, there'd be pay-per-view fights out of it all. Yeah, they would. They would. They, they, they'd all be. They'd be terrific. I mean, I know the other three. I don't know Martin, but but I've read his I've read his book recently, which makes me feel like I do. And um, yeah, it's amazing stuff. If if anybody hasn't read that one, um, uh, actually, this brings me on to a question that somebody gave me um, in person uh, the other day um, uh, when I was down at the market in Bermondsey. Um, there's a couple of fellas I bump into there who talk about the boxing sometimes and. What they wanted to know, and with regard to those three, it's quite relevant as well, is is um, I've read, I mentioned Martin Murray's book. Um, I've read that one. I've read Andy's. I've read Darren Barker's. Have you got any thoughts on doing one? Uh, because, I mean, your book would be an interesting read, definitely, depending on how much you were willing to put in it <laughs> and how much the, the, the lawyers were willing to um, uh, allow to remain in it. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I've been wondering about that for a while actually, because so you must have people must have asked you. Surely, can I ghost your book? Oh yeah, many times, and and, and, I'm, and I'm sure I will definitely at some point in the future. But, but um, I don't know. I think it's a few years off yet. There's still um, I'm that busy at the minute anyway. I just think that it's um, it's a few years off that one for me. I think um, yeah, and also yeah, we'll just have to see. You know, there's um, some things are better left. Never spoken about. I think. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big believer in that. I'm a big believer in yeah. that. A, a lot of things that really are best left unsaid. Um, yeah. We're not Americans. I, I want to hear about about my wild days when I was drinking. You know, five years. Yeah, uh, that's it. You know, we're 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 not American. We don't have to talk about our feelings and and you know go and get a therapist <laughs> every five minutes. Um, but but having said that, I'm joking. I'm joking. I know that a lot of the time. These things are extremely necessary. Uh, and that leads me on to our next one. This is from Scotty G. Uh, and we've got a couple here which will be fairly related. Um, but the first one from Scotty G is what's, what, what he wants to know is what's the toughest time that you've had in your in your career? Um, and yeah, just, 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 just take us through that one and, and, and what particularly it was about it that made it that made it as difficult as it was because I think your answer will probably lead us on to on to our next one Hey everybody this is Moto G Pete from the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast join us every week while we rate, review, ride, philosophize and generally obsess over every single motorcycle make, model and style that could possibly exist plus news and racing that's the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast from Moto One Podcast Network Studios Yeah, um, I mean, I, there's probably a few, to be honest. I remember um, so I remember after the Jamie Moore fight, I didn't fight for nearly a year. I think it was about 11 months, uh, 10 or 11 months it was. And that was a tough period of time because, you know, I was 24 years old. Um, I don't, you know, I, I turned professional at 18, 19. And, uh, you know, really 
kind of was knocking people out, was getting, you know, double page features in the boxing magazine, uh, you know, feature programs on Sky Sports. I was even in the uh, Times magazine, supplement magazine. Where I, I remember that. I remember that. I think called the next big thing. And it could be about anything, a DJ, a footballer, a fucking a chef, anything. And, uh, but, you know, this, they did it on me and all this kind of thing. Um, so, you know, at 24 to have lost my second fight, um, the second one, obviously, waking up in hospital, being took down an ambulance, didn't see, I didn't, this isn't where I seen myself being, do you know what I mean? And I was, um, you know, reading things and hearing things that people were saying, you know, Macklin, um, you know, I was reading write-ups where they were saying, you know, what a great fight it was and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, he'll probably, it's unlikely that Macklin will ever box again after this. And if he does, he'll never be the same. And, um, you know, I didn't believe that. I thought, nah, I know I'm still, I'm going to go on and do this, that and the other. Uh, if anything, it'll be the making of me. But nonetheless, you got those doubts, that self-doubt, and, you know, you can hear that doubt from other people. And I was, you know, it was a tough time, really. And then, and then I just wanted to get back in there, really. And uh, I mean, it was a grueler of a fight, as everyone knows. So I didn't, I wasn't, I was never going to fight that side of Christmas. So I just took some time out. Um, you know, I went to a friend of mine who'd been travelling in Australia. I went over and seen him for a, a few weeks. Went to Thailand, that type of thing. Then came back, and then you know, over the Christmas, I wanted to get out there. I was meant to box then the end of January. Went over to watch uh, Ricky Hatton in the middle of January. Probably looking back, you know, probably shouldn't have done that when I was boxing a, a couple of weeks after. But you know, he was a gym mate, and like I said, it was a, an exciting uh, journey with Ricky Hatton, and it was great to be a part of it. So going over there to watch him. Uh, when I came back then, I ended up catching a, a cold or I think it was a chest infection. So, you know, I pulled out of the fight. didn't want to take any chances, especially with it being my first fight back after that fight and, you know, all eyes on me and everything. So, didn't end up boxing. Then I was meant to... Um, so, then I was going to box for the Jason McKay in Dublin for the Irish middleweight title that I'd vacated. So, that was... We were training away for that. And um, I ended up bruising my ribs, sparring with... Uh, Kenny Anderson. So I had to pull out of that fight. And I remember, this was kind of middle of March now. And I remember coming back. I remember, I remember and there was, I think something else had fell through too. I remember it was the third thing. And I remember going back to the flat in Manchester. And I, I remember uh, texting Brian, Brian Peters, my manager, uh, give me a shout. No text back. Phone me, please. No answer. Text, uh, text me, give me a call, please. I've, I've, uh, I've bruised my ribs. I can't fight, blah, blah. Anyway, and of course, Brian's a busy man, by the way. Brian's a very successful businessman. But right now, my whole world is on this fight. So when I'm not getting a text back after an hour, I'm thinking, fucking hell, where's, you know, where, where's my phone call? And I remember sitting there, and I'm obviously thinking about my career and where I'm at. And I remember just, I burst out crying, and it was just out of pure and utter frustration. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't because Brian hadn't rang me. It's because I bruised my ribs, and it's another fight off, and how long I'm going to be out for another six weeks or something. So now I know I'm not going to box till May. And I was just, I remember just feeling so lonely, so frustrated and so desperate, really. Just full of despair. And, I, you know, that was that was a tough time. And then I ended up, you know, not boxing, I think it was till July. I think, yeah, it was, it was July. I did an eight-rounder, uh, knocked the guy out in a round. Then I boxed a few weeks later, uh, knocked Aaron Rhodes out four rounds. And I got a nice uh, eight-round stoppage then. And I got a bit of momentum back that time. But, you know, that, that was, uh, I remember that being a really tough period because, you know, I'm also traveling out to Las Vegas. I'm in the gym. I'm sparring. I'm training. 
Um, all the lads in the gym, although at this point it was only, say, Ricky and Matthew and me, three of us, but Matthew and Ricky are boxing regularly on big shows. Their career's moving forward. I'm training as hard, putting as much into it. I'm living away from home, going back to an empty flat on my own after the gym. Do you know what I mean? It was, I remember just, you know, a lot of time to sort of overthink and it was, it was a difficult period. Um, you know, as much as I love being a part of their journey, you know, I was there feeling the envy as well. I wanted my journey, you know, I was happy for them. And yeah, of course. Delighted that they were winning. They're my pals. But, you know, what about me? And I wanted my journey. And that kind of took me on then, I think, to um, probably 2000. Yeah, since the Hat and May with a fight. And I remember when I came back from there and I just thought, you know what, I just thought this is... Uh, Billy had been a certain way over there. I just remember coming back from there thinking... This is bullshit. I need, if I don't, I, you know, as, as great as this has been, being a part of Ricky's journey, and you know, I've learned so much from it and everything, and I want, I want my own journey. Yeah, of course. And, I, know, th- I think I think it's, I think some of the words you picked out there actually as well are particularly relevant now because you talked about just frustration, you know, bursting into tears at the frustration of it, the 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 solitariness of it, the the loneliness of it, um, and, and that you felt isolated, and that that's something that we're all learning about at the minute and. And there'll be lots of people at the moment who are who are really wondering where their next um, opportunity paycheck is is going to come from, and and the frustration of that is is I mean that's kind of a fever pitch up and down, up and down the it's country. Fear, isn't it, Andy? Fear, fear, fear of not fear of failure, fear of not making it, fear of these dreams that I thought were definitely going to happen. Maybe they're not going to happen, and you know people have. have, have you can, you can see that there is a lot of fear around at the minute, a lot of uncertainty. You know, what's going to happen when we come, come out the other side of this? And, you know, I, look, to be honest with you, the solitude, and I, I live on my own and I'm in my flat and that, and I'm actually not finding it hard at all because this isn't lonely by any comparison to what I've been through. I, I, I know what loneliness is and I've had to deal with loneliness and solitude. This is, this is a doddle to me in that sense. You know, um, you know I'm just worried for other people and, and you know but I'm personally myself I don't find this is, this is an absolute battle to me because I, I have dealt with loneliness I've been I remember being out in the wild card in 2010 and you know I was really sparring around say 11 o'clock you know and then you know you've been in the gym say 11 till 1 you know you come back there and you get something to eat it's a long I'd probably get to sleep about half 11 something like that 12 o'clock maybe now, it's a long old day between 1 o'clock and 12 o'clock at night, you know, when there was no WhatsApp, there was no Facebook, or I wasn't on Facebook, and, you know, I didn't call home or text because it was about £1 a minute or £2 a minute, so I wasn't doing that. You know, so I was literally just sat with myself, and, you know, I'd, I'd literally go, I'd have a coffee in a Starbucks, and then I'd drive to a different place, probably three or four miles away, to, to have a different Starbucks. Just, just for something to do, just to try and kill the time a little bit. But so, you know, people talk about, you know, what was a difficult part of the time, uh, was, was dieting difficult. Now, dieting was easy because, for me, dieting was easy because it's just discipline. But loneliness and, you know, boredom and, and the overthinking and, and being away on your own, that, that's what I found the hardest. And then when you get a setback or you get injured after being somewhere for, for six weeks and spent loads of money flying out there and, paying for the hotels and your digs and everything else and then all of a sudden you get an injury at the end of it you know the, it's so deflating so frustrating it's it's, it's oh, i know, think it's, i think i think it's on like a hard fight yeah exactly. i mean i think on that score bo- boxing 
boxing mentally is is for all sorts of reasons, but not just the the contest itself on the night, but everything around it. I think it's as challenging as 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 anything gets really. I've just been watching rewatching a load of um old Louis Theroux documentaries from probably about 15, 20 years ago. And there's one where he goes to New York and he's trying to see what people go through when they're trying to make it as, as an actor, because obviously there's loads of people trying to do that. Uh, and he's talking to this one fellow who's in his mid-30s and he's talking about, you know, I'm past the point of no return now. I can't do anything else, but I'm just beginning to wonder if this is actually going to happen. And it's that kind of pure fear, I think, that that that's kind of what you were talking about, is is that am I as good at this as I thought I was? And that that's a really kind of terrifying thing to have to confront in particularly in a in what is always going to be a results driven results driven business but we, we need to get on to some other questions we need to get on to some other questions um to crack through a few more um over the next few minutes um so oh, well this is one this is one kind of for me i guess from from tommy gary uh he says i'm young and i work in tv uh, any tips um well the best thing for you to do, to be honest, is if you're linked in with me, then just drop me a line and um, we can have a chat in more detail. Because I'm always happy to do that. People did that for me, so I'll always do that for others. But all, all, all I would say about that is that if you want to do this enough, then it will happen for you. You just need to keep persevering. It's a very basic answer, but but it's true. If you if you if you really want to do it, uh, work in broadcasting and sport, then. If you've got the the willpower and the gas tank to just keep going, then it will it will happen for you. Um, that's very, Andy. That's very much on par with what I've just said, isn't it? You know, I just kept going, setback after setback, but kept going and kept going. You know, and eventually it happened. I got the stern fight. Then I signed with Debella. You know, I fought Martinez, Madison Square Garden. You know, Golovkin, Fox, HBO. Do you know what I mean? It, it happened. It, although at one point I thought it was never going to happen, but I just kept going and. You know, what you just said there in terms of the broadcasting, just keep doing it. Yeah, keep it's going. the same. It's, it's, just, it's the same thing. If you can just manage to keep, you know, getting up every morning and, and, and whatever. If, you, if you're working another job at the minute, if you, if you can just manage to put those extra hours in at the end of the day, before the start of the day, in your lunch hour, on your weekends, then, you know, if you keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it, you will get there. You will get there. It's, 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 it's the same thing in, in, anything, in anything in life because my, my sister's... Uh, Bella is a really, really successful businessman, you know, and he he, fa- he failed that many times before he got there. And and so we can, even though we are in completely different arenas in terms of his, his business and mine, when we're talking, the, the, the similarities, it's the drive. If you are driven enough and you don't give up and you keep the faith and you keep believing in yourself, even when it borders on the door of insanity, you will get <laughs> yeah. there. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. That's absolutely, particularly, I think in, um, well, you're right in anything, but I do particularly think in in sport. Sometimes it, there's a level of self delusion that you have to have, uh, and sometimes you will question it and wonder whether it is just that, whether it is it is just pure self delusion. But you you have to have it's that. A and you, it's a fine line. It's a fine. It's a really line. fine line. It's a really fine line. I remember times. I remember times um, during the course of my career where where things started to go wrong or jobs I'd landed disappeared, sometimes um, not through my own fault, just circumstances. I remember the, the financial crash, for example, that was, that was, that was 
Oh, mate, that just so I remember, you, you said that you were in your flat and burst into tears. I remember sinking to my knees <laughs> in my flat one day when a couple of when a couple of gigs that I'd that I'd picked up um, earlier in the season. I was covering mainly football then. Basically, by the new year, two thousand and nine, when the kind of lag effect of the crash had, had well and truly come into existence, they both disappeared, and I was just sitting there thinking, "Oh my god, this is." This is absolutely brutal. But um, yeah, it happens to everybody. And sometimes, you know, judgment calls are made and people decide that someone else is better than you. And, and that can be hard to take as well. And, and, and as you say, in all, sorts of, in all sorts of areas, really. So let's just have a look at um, a few more. Um, hardest hitter you ever fought from Boxing 365. Could be inspiring, I guess, or in, in a fight. body gloved him. Uh, the hardest I've probably been hit to the head was by James McGurk, inspiring. Yo, I'm DK, co-host of the One Star Recruits podcast. My best friend Rip and I host five-star athletes, celebs, business leaders, comedians, and coaches from around the world. Each week, I can guarantee you the show will always have great laughs, catch up on life's in relatable ways, and have a ton of fun. We're recruiting you. We are the one stars, which means we can ask the questions that no other podcast asks to guests like Joey Chestnut, Evander Holyfield, Bobby Hurley, Jenny Finch, Ryan Lochte, Montel Jordan. New guests every week, compelling interviews that you want to hear. Check us out wherever you get podcasts. One Star Recruits. Okay, okay. So here's one <laughs> Here's one from Omar, Omar Rashad7. He, he listens every week, Omar. He drops me a line every now and again. Uh, he's good fun. He's good fun. Is it true you and John Duddy are an item? Because people do want to know. <laughs> people do want to know what happened after Mumbergate because we all, we, it's been well documented now the, the fact that you, you, know, you blew Samantha Mumba off in the most callous, offhand fashion. Uh, because you're having a budding bromance with John Duddy. But I I think from what I remember, from what you told me, was that you texted John Duddy the next week and he never even replied. <laughs> Look, Samantha Mumber actually texted me after that a few days after. Yeah, and you and you ignored that as well. I don't I don't know what was going right. through your head at that point. I, I, I think I was still recovering from the hangover. I was that in the horrors over. I couldn't remember what I said and done. I was just like, I just wanted that night to disappear. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we've all had a few of them. Um, okay, so this is kind of uh, this is a, a quite a current one. Um, best box set you've watched lately. So I've been getting stuck into this recently. I watched The Tiger King about a week or so ago, and that's gone viral now. That's absolutely insane. Um, and just watched the latest Sunderland Till I Die on Netflix as well. That's quite good. There's, I mean, there's there's quite a lot to there's quite a lot to choose from. There's not that much boxing related, uh, to be honest. On there, um, I don't know anything anything you've you've got stuck into the last week or so that you would particularly recommend. So I've nearly finished Power. It's quite old, but I mean, I've been that, that busy as you, as have you, Andy, lately. That I, I, I've barely watched television the last two years. I used to love a good box set, um, but uh, no, Power. I've nearly finished Power. I'm on like the last few episodes now. That's that's been pretty good. Um, and a Netflix series, um, When They See Us. Is it When They See Us? Oh um, yeah, yeah. I watched that. I watched that about Central Park about the lads who got who got yeah, convicted for the Central it makes Park. So angry. Yeah. Oh, it does. Yeah. That's hard. That is a hard watch. A really hard watch. Hard um, watch. 
but it's if, powerful. It is, yeah, and it's important that you stick it out. It's important that people stick it out and watch and what the things that make you uncomfortable. Um, and and there's been some really good ones along those lines that have been released recently. You need to you need to hang in there and, and get through it because these are very very important stories. That one particularly. Yeah, you, you think you think you got it tough, man. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. That, that, that's that's that. Yeah, you, you're so right there because everything's relative, isn't it? You know, there's no point thinking, oh well, at least this hasn't happened. Something completely off the scale. But then, when you watch what some other people have had to have had to go through, particularly things like that, miscarriages of justice, um, how you live with that, uh, I, I, I don't know how. I don't know how anybody can do it because it would just burn you up. It would eat you alive. Um, uh, and yeah, I remember so he, reading a really famous quote from um, Nelson Mandela, and, I, and I, I can't remember the word for it, but it was basically something like, you know, as I looked, as I was about to be released, I realized, I knew that I also had to step away from the, the, the prison of my anger, and I couldn't allow my anger and my bitterness to create a new prison for me. Do you know what I remember thinking, well, that, that was like powerful as well. Do you, know, do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because that's, I, I think, you know, it's a very, very difficult thing to do for. Well, I wouldn't know, but luckily for me, but it must be an incredibly difficult thing to do when you've been just astonishingly poorly treated, and yeah. uh, and you just That's have really to, strength, that is, and, and you're just, exactly. a, yeah, you're you're essentially told to get over it, um, and uh, and as if the previous twenty, because you've now been released in whatever circumstance it may be, that the years that you've spent in prison, it's okay because the wrong has been righted, and you think, well, it still happened, I was still there. Making a murderer—that's that, another one. That's terrible. Yeah, that is—that is—that's another absolutely oh. astonishing story. I mean, there's there's lots of them. There's lots of them, and um, that's a good thing about Twitter. Actually, at the minute with social media, people just just throwing the suggestions around of the things to do, and, and there's endless kind of workout videos to get stuck into as well. If um, if you feel if you feel so inclined, uh, but back back to a few of our questions. Um, if, this if is a good one. A bit more like <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Get 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 JP on, get JP on. Um, so this is from Stephen, seventeen eighteen. Weirdest place um, you've ever been as an amateur? That that's a good question because you get sent to some some interesting countries, shall we say, as an amateur. Particularly, you know, I, I have been as well in countries that you wouldn't, you just wouldn't go to otherwise um, because, well, you just wouldn't. I mean, so what, where 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 really stands out for you? In Oslo, in the Norway Box Cup, I don't think I'd, I'd have ever have gone there. Probably not. Um, um, Eastern Cape in South Africa, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't go there on holiday. Well, then again, maybe I would. I'd just stay in a different resort. Um, um, Eager in Hungary, Budapest. Okay, uh, yeah, I bet that was interesting. Yeah, Eager was actually a really nice place in Hungary. Well, the thing is, as well, it's. It, it, I mean, it is really interesting because I had a spell. It would have been, yeah, this time four years ago when we were doing a lot of Olympic qualifiers, or rather, I was doing a lot of Olympic qualifiers. So I went to China, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, Venezuela within a within a few months, and and it's great when you just go somewhere that's completely and utterly different to anywhere you've been before. I've been to South America and Central America quite a lot since then, but Venezuela was the first time, and it was a country in turmoil. And it's just little things like you you arrive at the airport and you're kind of wondering how the hell this tournament has ended up being hosted here because surely they've got bigger things to worry about. Um, and it was kind of one of those where you get met on the tarmac by someone 
I never went through passport control, I don't think. He just ended up in this room. Then all of a sudden I was in the back of a car by myself with four mo- motorcycle outriders. Um, I don't know who they thought I was um, to take me down to the to the Aiba Hotel, which we were, basically couldn't leave for the duration of the week we were there. There was armed guards outside all the time. It was, But when you did meet the people at the boxing, um, and it was packed out every day because they, they gave the tickets away, it was brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. But I, I mean, I guess I had no real idea of what was going on in the country at that at that point and you can't really go there now it's you're, you're advised not to just not to go and Kazakhstan Uzbekistan they they were yeah I mean it's 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 mad boxing because it does take you to places that when you get there you think wow this is really interesting but you wouldn't necessarily have paid your own money to go if you were going to be Actually, I do know the maddest place of a boxer than amateur because you've just reminded me when you're talking about maddest places that you would never ever ever go and that was definitely the small heat gardener's social club. <laughs> I guarantee you, you'd never ever want to go there. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, find all sorts in there. Let me tell you. Yeah, it's just it's some of the. I think that's why we, we end up talking about the amateurs a lot. But the reason is that it is it is just so interesting. I mean, a lot of professional boxing venues are. Uh, you know, in some unlikely locations. But I mean, I, I remember go when my wife was was doing some training at Islington, going to the going to the Boston Dome in, in Tufnell Park. You know, which is above a uh, a pub, like it's a dome on the top of a building. Basically, they've got a nice big room up there. Loads of people listening to this probably would have been because you get loads of amateur shows up there. And Anthony Joshua was 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 boxing up there um, early in early in his career. And and these places are kind of rites of passage for young fighters. And what I really love about it is that everyone has to do it. So AJ was up there fighting, but but of course he was, because at that point he was no one. And this is what you have to do. And, and Frampton was saying to us as well, wasn't he, that you win an amateur fight when you're a kid and you might get give, you might walk out of there with, you know, some old fellas at the ring have stuffed a few quid in your pocket. You might walk out of there with 25 quid when you're 10 or 11 years old. And as he said, you feel like a, you feel like a millionaire. I mean, it's... it's um, yeah, they, they, it's just the stories that come out of the amateurs are uh, uh, absolutely amazing. Let's have a quick look. Uh, this is a good one from Jamie Ackland, who um regular listener, drops us a line quite regularly. Uh, I said we weren't going to talk too much about the coronavirus, but who would you say, this is his question, who would you say the UK fighters are who are going to suffer most from this enforced hiatus? Um uh, the reason I kind of picked this one out because I was thinking about this myself the other day. I was just thinking, who is this going to be really bad news for? Uh, and I just got round to thinking about fighters who hadn't boxed for a while anyway. And I'm not saying this is dealing him some kind of fatal blow, but I think this will be particularly frustrating for someone like Boatsy because he la- the name of yeah he he last boxed at the end of August um, and then he was supposed to box at the start of November but couldn't due to illness. And then he was scheduled to box at the end of March on that O2 show, which obviously isn't happening. Uh, uh, it was last week. It hasn't happened. So he's going to have had the best part of a year outside, out of the ring by the time he gets back in there. Because um, we don't know what's going to happen. It could even be a year for all we know. Um, but it's, it's lads like him, isn't it, I think? Yeah, that, especially because someone like Bawatsi, who isn't really, you know, he's... he's his star status is going to grow because of how good he is, you know, in, in the ring and his fights. He's great to watch. He's, he, you know, he's brilliant to watch. 
great uh, tactician, breaks fighters down, and he's you know he's a quiet guy, a humble guy. So he's not your you know he, he ain't no he's not a Tony Bellew, is he? Do you know what I mean? So he's not he's not on TV shows. He's not really a big self promoter. So he needs to be busy really, Boatsy, because he needs momentum. He needs uh, time where there's the press conferences, there's the night of the fight, there's the the press conferences after and, and, and the reports and the write-ups and the conversations afterwards. That's when he gets kind of... That's where his profile, you know, takes a little boost each time. It's important for someone like Bawatsi, who's kind of fighting and doing the talking for him, that he stays busy and keeps fighting regularly. You know, inactivity, and all of a sudden, Joshua Bawatsi's forgotten about where, you know, someone like, for example, when Tony Bellew was fighting, Tony was very good at keeping his name relevant, staying in, staying in the conversations. He'd, you know, he'd, he'd do anything, wouldn't he? He'd go to anything. So, you know, he was, he was a massive, fantastic self-promoter. So someone like Boatsy, I think, is suffering from this, uh, this, this period. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, and, and it's, he was just a name that's, that sprang to mind because of where he is and he's, he's very highly ranked and he's not that far away from getting a shot and, and he'll be... He'll be feeling this, like everybody, but he'll be he'll definitely be be feeling this. There are other examples as well. I mean, Josh Kelly, for example. I mean, I know he boxed in Mexico um, in December. That was a kind of tick over, though. So he hadn't really had a big fight since Madison Square Garden in June, and this was the second time the Avenesian fight um, was 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 scheduled. And now it, again, it hasn't happened. That's going to be enormously frustrating for him. But everybody's just got to try and stay. And stay busy, and, and, and I guess it's not—it's not that unusual a situation. But it depends what kind of, what level of backing you've got, almost. Because if you're if you're a heavily backed fighter, then you'll get a date um, pretty soon after you've boxed. You'll get your next date. If you're not, and you're always having to just stay busy and stay ready, you're probably going to cope with this better. Would would that be fair? Yeah, I think so, definitely. Yeah, definitely. So here's one from Adam Hunter. Um, it's not the easiest question in the world to answer, but that makes it a good question. Um, in some senses, he says, boxing is booming in the UK uh, with the likes of Joshua Fury and, and, and others. But do you feel that the sport shuts itself out of a huge market of sports fans, that essentially that it marginalises itself um, for two reasons, one being that the, the best don't always fight the best uh, and that often we get scandals with with, with poor judging. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's not a new one, this, is it? But it's just this idea that boxing kind of self-harms in a way that can stop it really crossing over into the mainstream. But then at the same time, when there's a big fight, it is mainstream. Yeah, you know, boxers aren't fighting every week. How could they? They'd be dead. Do you know what I mean? Where you know, but, and it's, it's to most people's first sport is football, or even in America is baseball or, or basketball or NFL. So it, it's but, but most men that enjoy sports will watch a fight. You know, so when the the the, the right fight happens, you know, it, it does over a million buys on pay per view. You know what I mean? So it it, it, it catches. Boxing is booming. It's selling out 90,000 people in Wembley. You know, Joshua was doing um, the Millennium Stadium as well. And, you know, and even even just not even the heavyweights, you know, most shows that Eddie puts on, they're, they're, you know, maybe they're not selling out, but they're, they're a full house and they're happening in arenas. Like I say, go back to 
2007, 2008, 2006. It was Friday fight nights and there were boxing in leisure centres. Boxing is booming and has been booming for many years now. And with regard to the with the, the officiating, that, that that is a problem and it always has been and it, and it always will be because it is subjective. You do get cards where you look at them and you just think that is just incompetence. But other sports will have that too. Other sports that have judges will have that too. But other sports with judges aren't as high profile as boxing. Um, you might get a scandal in diving or or in, in ice skating or, or in gymnastics and they're just not they're not on the same scale as boxing and that's why you don't hear about things like that but I guarantee you it happens that doesn't make it right but but I guarantee you it does yeah and also uh, and we, we know this as well as anyone Andy we're running every single week talking about fights and we're commentating and we're scoring fights it's you know there's, there's a difference between a close fight that could have gone either way and a bad decision or someone getting robbed do you know what I mean and a, now a lot of fights are close for example you know, the Golovkin-Canelo, the second fight, I thought that was a close fight that could have gone either way. The first fight, I thought he got robbed. Do you know what I mean? It's, there's a difference. Yeah. yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. So let's go to one from Killian OD, 95. Greatest Irish boxer uh, of all time? That's a good question, actually. Yeah. Not an I easy one, that either. Taylor, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, you would have to say so, given what she's achieved in the last in the last so three or four years, amateur and professional, amateur and professional. Yeah, it would have to be Katie Taylor. Who would you say the best man is then? Uh, I don't know. I mean, Barry McGuigan was was probably the most prolific, highest profile. Steve Collins, two weight world champion. Um, you know, I don't know how many defenses he made. Um, I don't know. Is there someone maybe I'm missing? No, I think that's. I think that's. I think that's pretty. I think that's pretty accurate when you think there's been loads and loads of really good fighters that have come out of Ireland, um, yeah. but I wouldn't say that anybody's captured the imagination necessarily more than, well, certainly not more than Barry McGuigan. I mean, Barry McGuigan's level of fame was on a scale that is difficult to really explain. I only caught the tail end of it because when he beat Pedroza, I would have been eight. And I do remember it happening. Uh, I'm not going to claim to have been at Loftus Road because about three million people were at Loftus Road, from what I can, uh, from what I can work out. Uh, but but um, I, I do remember what you know it happening. And, and and as I was growing up, you know, when you were when you were any kind of when you were an athlete in the in the terrestrial era where there was only terrestrial TV and, and there were only three channels. Terrestrial famous is just massive, all-encompassing, mega fame. Uh, and yeah. not that many people achieve it now. You become famous in, in kind of other ways. But Barry McGuigan was just off the charts famous in terms of... Yeah, you, you, I, don't, I don't think you can compare it to, to now because, like you say, you had three or four channels and whatever was on the television was on the back page of the sports papers and everyone read the papers back then. So it, it was... It was a different time. Television media was completely different. And McGuigan was just, like, I think, 20 million people watched Barry McGuigan win the world title on BBC. Do you know what I mean? Like, so how do you... Like, his profile was just unbelievable. So, you know, it, it's, a, it's a different time. You know, when Andy Lee won the world title in Las Vegas, how many people seen that at four o'clock in the morning? I don't even know if it was shown on... on, on it was on Box Nation. It was on Box Nation. I remember sitting up and uh, and watching Box it. Nation. But but yeah, it's it's, it's a valid it's a valid point you make. At that time in the morning, 
Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a totally valid point. I mean, there are there are so many different ways to con- consume things now. Well, I mean, just if, if because you... Barry's profile was bigger, doesn't mean he was the best. But you know, he was certainly up there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and he had that defining night as well. He, he boxed yeah, the, the, exactly. the recognised number one in his division and he, and, he, and he won. I mean, you you think about people who since then have, have reached a really high level of fame um, despite being um, not on terrestrial TV. And you, you, there's not many, is there? You're thinking Lennox Lewis, um, you're thinking Prince Nassim Hamed, Ricky yeah, Hatton. Who, sorry? Both of those did fight on terrestrial Yeah, 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 that's true. That's true. But there's a handful of fighters. I mean, Hatton's the one really, isn't he, where you just think yeah. his entire career was conducted off terrestrial TV, but he was he achieved a level that, that very few the very few yeah, people did. do. But it is hard. I mean it's very it's it's difficult. David Hay in recent times, he I'd say he's he cracked it as well as anybody did. Um, and he had to work hard to do it because you've got to put yourself out there, get yourself in. It's 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 the self promotion aspect of boxing is 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 fascinating, and we'll we've been kind of chasing him for a bit actually. He's he's hard to pin down, David Hay, but either him or he Bellew. We'll we'll David will do it. He said he will. Yeah, you know, yeah. He's, he's, he travels a lot. Either him or Bellew on the art of self promotion, or both together. Ideally, that would be the dream. That that'd be brilliant because it's a massive part. Yeah. It's a massive part of the career. Um, you know, being good is is obviously important and working hard is obviously important and then having the minerals is obviously important. But if you're really gonna make it to the big money fights by itself, it's not necessarily it's not necessarily enough, which is one of the one of the strange things about boxing, but that's just so, how that goes. So two things that top rank consider when they sign a fighter, and that's ability and marketability. You know, and, and they're nearly as equal. I mean if you if you, if you can't fight there's no, you can be the most marketable person in the world. You can't fight, you can't fight. It's not gonna, you're not going to make it in boxing. Um, but, you know, you can be the best fighter in the world, but if no one knows who you are, it's, or you've got no story, or you've got no personality, or you're not... An, like, you know, if you're, a, if you're a boring, safety-first, slick, southpaw, bantamweight, who doesn't speak, you know, but no personality, you're a tough sell. You're not going to be a pay-per-view star. No matter how good you are, or no matter how, no matter how difficult you are to be, you're not going to be a pay per view star. No, that's absolutely right. Uh, and and there are other fighters who were maybe not that good, but they were sensational to watch, uh, and you knew exactly what they would bring, uh, and they gave great entertainment and great value for money. And, and and for that reason, they found themselves in in big money fights. And that's 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 just the reality of it. Uh, it's an interesting subject, though. We will definitely get into that in more detail um, a bit further down the track. So. We'll do one more. Uh, I've been saving this one to the end. I mean, we've got plenty left. I mean, we could do another one of these, definitely, uh, maybe with, with somebody else on board too. But this one has come in from Boxing Futures, and Boxing Futures is a charity that I I represent, that I'm an ambassador for. And what they do, basically, and have been doing for a long time, is they they reach out to the, to the vulnerable of, of the community, people who feel anxious, isolated, lonely, um, which is again very relevant to what we're going through now because what people are feeling now, the kind of fear that Matt was talking about, that people are feeling now with the uncertainty and not being able to see people and feeling like they're alone. For some people, that's their life all the time. And and I think one great thing that we can maybe take out of this is that when this is all over, maybe we can all just be a bit more aware of of, of what other people around us are maybe 
are maybe going through on a day-to-day basis. But um, but their question anyway, Boxing Futures, is do you think promoters, uh, it's interesting that they picked up promoters, do you think promoters do enough to support fighters when they retire? Um, and, and this is a thorny issue, isn't it? There's, there's no PFA. People have tried it and, and it just hasn't worked. But um, there are organisations now, Rest and Care, for example, um, who are trying to look to do things for fighters when they retire. But but I mean, what's your view on that? Because you, you did well financially um, during the course of, of your career. So when you called it a day, I think you were in, in pretty pretty good shape but that doesn't necessarily mean that things are going to be easy because so were Ricky Hatton and so were Joe Calzaghe and they, they've had some real problems yeah it, 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 you know listen obviously if you're financially okay that's, a, that, that's nice and to help but that doesn't mean that you're going to be mentally or emotionally okay you might you know you might not be in a good place at all um, you know people turn to drink and drugs and, 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 and relationships and anything to try and you know, take away them, take them away from their, their own thoughts sometimes as well. Do you know, and it's um, it's a difficult one because, you know, I don't really should there be more done. I don't know because I think I think that kind of thing is such a personal journey that I don't, I don't know who's who's even qualified to be there. That I mean, that to help it's therapy, I suppose, isn't it? That people that need some kind of therapy talking or or you got to be honest with you. First of all, you need the awareness to understand why am I feeling what I'm feeling. Do you know? Do you know what I mean? You need to understand, and and then you you need to um, you need you need to talk about it. That's the thing. You don't like I say all men, most mental health things. You know that overthinking, keeping things in, holding onto resentments. You know self pity, feeling sorry for yourself, or or being fearful, like you say, anxiety. You know feeling regret. You know, a lot of people might retire and, and start looking back on the career as we all get older and we all look back and think of things we did when we were younger and mistakes we made and you know a career it's a short career isn't it it's over so quick and then all of a sudden you look back and it's gone and you know I think people can be you can be holding on to a lot of regret and that, that's no good you know you have to learn to accept what's done is done and you've got to get past but it's not I don't think it's as simple as someone saying come on now man up tough tough accept it and move on it's not about that doesn't work like that. You know, we can all say that and then you walk away, but 10 minutes, an hour later or a few hours later or a couple of days later, you're back in your head thinking of living in the past a little bit. So, I mean, it's important to, to make peace with it and um, so you can close that door and move on then into the future and move on to the next phase of your life, which, you know, may be involved in boxing in a different role or maybe it's something completely different, but you've certainly got to shut that door on your own career. And you've got to shut that door with peace. You have to come to peace with what you did or what you didn't do, or what you know, what mistake, what you should have done or shouldn't have done. You have to get, you have to get to a place of, of peace with all that stuff. Otherwise, it, you'll torment yourself, and you know the, the regret and the unhappiness will build and build and build, and it's you know a ticking time bomb. Then, yeah, I think it's easy to say, but I think it's anyone who's retired from from that kind of occupation, you have to try your best to concentrate on uh, what you did do and remember the things that you did achieve rather than try and look back and, and as you say, obsess about the things that you probably thought you should have because the nature of the beast of all of you lot is, is, is the same, is that you go into it because you think you're going to win everything uh, and that's the belief that you have to have. So, of course, you will look back on your career and you're, really your nature is to look at things that you should have won that you didn't win. 
but nobody wins Andy, everything. Andy, when I retired, I, I did not feel good about my career. I felt like I'd failed. And I, 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 so I, I understand where people can be. I felt like I'd failed. Now I look back on my career and think, fuck me, did I really do all that? But that's just a shift in my perception. But I, I had to do a lot of inner work, let's say, on myself to get to that point. Do you know what I mean? And when I first retired, I didn't feel good about my career. I look back on all the mistakes I made and all the things I should have done differently and the way I lived. I didn't live the life in between fights, partying and all the other bullshit things that happened and, you know, changing. You know, I, I was full of regretting a lot of things. I wouldn't have said this publicly, but internally, that's what I was feeling. I felt like I failed. My self-esteem was on the floor. But, you know, now I look back and think, fucking hell, the, the, the glass isn't half empty. The glass has filled over that many times. I've filled a five-gallon barrel. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but that's a shifting perception. And that's, that, is, that is that work. Do you know what I mean? That you, you look on things and you... You know, I had to go back and... I look back to when I was... I remember being 16 and I was at a show in the Tower Ballroom in Birmingham. I was watching uh, someone, I think, a, a few you know, like local fighters that would have been boxing the amateur club that were older than me, you know, 10 years or more older than they were boxing. And we were going down there and a friend of mine... Mark Davis, who inspired with me, but he was one of my best mates at the time as well. And I remember saying to him, "Yeah, Davis, when me and you were boxing here, and you know, we'll, uh, you know, we'll have the after party here in town, and blah." You know what I mean? That's where I was thinking at that time at sixteen. So if you'd have told me, I was thinking about boxing in the Tower Ballroom, not on TV. So if you'd have told me that you're going to be ABA champion at eighteen, you're going to go to World Juniors next year or the year after, you're going to be ABA champion at eighteen, you're going to sign with Frank Warren, you're going to. Being with DiBello and you're going to train with the likes of Buddy McGirt, Freddie Roach, and you're going to box at Madison Square Garden and the Thomas and Mac in Vegas, and you're going to be on eight. I'd have, I'd have, I wouldn't have beat your hand off. I'd have, I'd have beat your arm off. Do you know what I mean? So, But it's easy, you know, as we're moving forward. You have to sometimes go back to realise how far you came. And actually, I lived a life beyond my wildest dreams. I, li- I, I, no, I literally lived my dreams. I, everything I dreamt, it happened. All right, I didn't get over the line and become world champion, but I know I did really. The night in Germany when I fought Spam, I should have been world champion. So I don't feel inferior at that now. But, I, but when I retired, I did. You know, but that's, and I think a lot of fighters, you know, retire because don't forget, fighters are young men growing up as well. They're not just boxers, they're people. And people, like any young man at 18 or 22 or whatever, they've got a use and they're growing up and they're going to make mistakes. But you don't get another career and, you know, depending on the severity of the mistakes and what they achieve after it all or in spite of it, you know, could depend on how much they regret or hold on to the past. And it, it, it's, it's, it's important if you're going to move on to a life of fulfillment and future happiness. You have to let go of the past. But, yeah, you know, that's, that's, that's it. That's it. That just can't be done in a conversation. That's, that's easier said than done that. You have to do a lot of work on yourself to get to that place. You have to be at peace with it. Well, one thing that most people say to me is that the the most difficult period after you retire, particularly if there was physically, um, you, you know, your body's still functioning, it's still able to box, that the first two years are the most difficult. That's that's when you will really be tempted to try and, and come back if that's at all if that's at all in your mind. And and another thing people talk about is is it being an identity crisis basically because you've been a boxer, you're you're Matt Macklin, the European champion, world title challenger. Matt Macklin is, and it's all boxing related. Then all of a sudden, you're not anymore, uh, and you're kind of left sitting there thinking, "Well, yeah. what, what, what am I now? Who am I now?" Did that is that 
Does, yeah. Is that what happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like you say, you've, you've all your life. You've, when, we're, when we're boxing, we're dreaming, we're setting goals, and we're chasing this dream, and we're setting goals, and we're breaking the, the big goal down into more into smaller goals, achievable goals. And, you know, you just keep chasing that goal, and you move, you move it, you set new ones. You're always goal setting, and, you know, the dream is, is, is the end. And none of us really dream past our career. Do you know what I mean? We haven't really dreamt past that point. You know, and then all of a sudden, you're, you're 35 or 32 or whatever you are, you know, you're old. You're an old man in boxing, but you're not an old man in life. So it's like, well, okay, well, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Who am I now? You know, I'm not, I'm not Matt Macklin. I'm not Matt the Knife anymore. I'm not that boxer. That's not who I am. You know, I'm not the ego or the boxer. That's not my identity. Who, who, who am I? Yeah, it's hard. It's very very difficult. It's very difficult. And I remember when we were talking to Glenn McCrory in Newcastle and and, and he he said, you know, when I won the IBF Cruiserweight title um, down the road from from where I grew up and my brother was ringside and the whole town was there, the next day I just felt completely empty because that was it for me. That was all he wanted. That's all he wanted. That's what he wanted to do. And once he'd done it, it it just said that it was like it was was over. Uh, And I just, that just kind of blew me away. But when, when you think about it, that that makes total sense. If if that's your if that's your lifetime ambition and you fulfil it and you're twenty nine or thirty or, or whatever he was, like you say, you, you you sat there thinking, all right, well, what what now? And that's why a character like Glenn will, will throw himself into all of these things he's done down the years. The uh, last time we spoke to him, he'd been he'd been up at however many tens of thousands of feet um, in the Himalayas, um, trying to get himself ready for for an assault on Everest because you have to try and find something to, to replace what is, well, well, I mean, it's frankly irreplaceable. Yeah, you, 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 and you probably need, you, you're probably the type of person with a competitive nature, need a bit of a challenge. And, you know, Joe, Joe Calzaghe won't have retired with any regrets or anything like that. You know, look, look he was undefeated, you know, and he's, the last couple of years he, he got the credit he deserved and all the rest of it. But still, you know, there's a massive void in his life. And uh, I remember reading about Sugar Ray Leonard and he says, you know, I retired and I, you know, I, I tried to replace that feeling with loads of things. I'd loads of comebacks because I couldn't replace it. You know, the women, the drugs, everything. Nothing could replace that high of going into that ring, being the man. Do you know what I mean? Nothing could replace it. And eventually, he said, I had to get to a point where, and, and I love this, he said, where you look back and just smile. Don't cry that it's over. Smile that it happened. Yeah, and I love that line. Yeah, that's that. That's a brilliant line. I think that's that's exactly that's exactly what you have to try, what you have to try and do. And and again, it does kind of chime in a little bit with what with what everybody's going through now. Because when this is finished, people will be looking at some at some serious wreckage. Um, in the worst cases, it will be people that they've lost. In other cases, it might be businesses that they've lost, um, financial situations that have been left in in ruins and it will be it will be very difficult to to kind of not to to move on from that really to move on from that but it's it's something that everybody has to to try and find to try and find a way a way to do and and, and I think what fascinates me with athletes too is that your physical peak comes when you're young obviously so you're in a job where your physical peak comes when you're young maybe between 24 and 28 something like that but at that point, your emotional maturity 
is not even nearly in sync with where you're going to be in your career. So you've all of a sudden got to make, you're trying your best to make mature, emotionally responsible, mature decisions about your career when you're not much more than a child, really. Yeah, no, it is. It is it's tough, you know. It's um, it, it, sports a difficult one because you have to live a very disciplined life. You have to make a lot of sacrifices, and and and, and rightly so. You want to achieve, that's what it takes. But also, you're a young man growing up, to make, and you are gonna make mistakes as every single person alive as they grow up. It, 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 you know, if you're forty, think the exact same as you did when you were twenty. You've wasted twenty years. Do you know what I mean? You, you, you think differently as you get older. You, you grow up, don't we? We learn, we mature, we make mistakes, we learn from them. You never stop growing. And um, it, youth is wasted on the young. That's just a fact. Yeah, that's a good one. That's another good one. But um, I think we'll, yeah, I think that pretty much wraps it up for us. It's a quite, quite, um, it's quite a long one for us, actually, but no harm in that at the minute because, as I say, people are just looking to, looking to pass the time. And, it's been good fun. This it's worked. I um, well, I say that I need to listen back to it to make sure that the sound is the sound is okay. But hopefully it's come through okay, and I'm sure you'll forgive us if it's if it's not quite as clear as it normally is because this is the way we're going to have to do it from now on. But um, for for the foreseeable anyway. But as I said, we'll be looking to to get other people involved. That's my next technical challenge is to sort this out so that we can add another voice to it, and and there'll be plenty of people wanting to. Uh, wanting to get involved, as I say, just because there's, uh, just for a lack, really, of, of anything else to do. Um, so, Matt, good good to hear from you. I mean, this is probably the longest over the course of the last four years that we've been working together that I haven't seen you. It's kind of, it's, um, it's, it's weird, <laughs> like, to be honest. Yeah, I sort of am a bit, yeah, because, you know, it's just like we just sit down and just, just talk endless, you know, endless boxing conversations that get around to all sorts of, topics and, and life discussions and I do miss it a bit yeah I do miss it a bit I'm not afraid to say it I'm not afraid to say it this is this is a safe space Macklin's take it's a good job you're on this line with me when you ask them questions and I start going up on one if you didn't call me back I'd be fucking still talking answering the first question <laughs> okay well thanks for listening everybody and Stay safe, stay well, um, and I hope that's the case for you at the minute and for, for all of those around you. And be sensible as well. We need to try and make sure that we do everything we can to um, to make sure this, this, this passes as quickly as, as possible. And we will be back soon um, with another one of these. Someone sneaking round a corner Could that someone be Mac the Knife? There's a tugboat down by the river, don't you know? Where a cement bag just drooping on down. Oh, that cement is just—it's there for the weight to dare. Five will get you ten old Mackies back in town. Sports Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.